everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical news and clinical updates. I'm your moderator, Amanda Valby, with Consultant 360 Specialty Network. Small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, or SIBO, is defined as the presence of excessive numbers of bacteria in the small bowel, causing gastrointestinal symptoms. Until recently, the diagnostic testing methods and criteria for diagnosis of SIBO, as well as treatment options, have been controversial. However, the American College of Gastroenterology has published a clinical guideline for SIBO to clear up the controversies. Today, I'm speaking with the lead author of the guidelines, Dr. Mark Pimentel, who is the Executive Director of the Medically Associated Science and Technology Program at Cedars-Sinai in Los Angeles, California. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Pimentel. To start, how has the knowledge and classification of small intestinal bacterial growth evolved over time? So bacterial overgrowth has changed a lot over the last 20 years, in part because bacterial overgrowth initially was discovered in the 1960s, and then breath tests were developed in the 1970s, but we really didn't understand what the breath test meant. It isn't until more modern molecular techniques that we're really starting to understand that the breath test has importance and are able to validate the breath tests in a number of ways. And there are multiple gases that are produced for breath testing to diagnose bacterial overgrowth, and we only measure two of the three gases. So there's work to be done yet, but over time we'll, we'll get more answers. Great. And then what was the need for a new SIBO guideline? Why was it necessary? So recently uh, we published or were part of the small intestinal bacterial overgrowth ACG clinical guideline. And the reason this was important is because there's been a tremendous growing interest in bacterial overgrowth in multiple disease states. And in and of itself, bacterial overgrowth produces gas, bloating, distension, and abdominal pain, as well as diarrhea and constipation. So it can produce so many different symptoms, and it's being seen more and more commonly because it's being recognized. And I think given that the clinicians are recognizing it more, the college felt there was a need to put out a guideline to provide information, to critically appraise the literature, to say, well, this is based on the literature, this is what's true, this is maybe what's not true, to sort of clear the air about what is overgrowth, how do you diagnose it, and what's your approach. Great. And then what are the most important recommendations in the new guideline for clinicians in practice? So the guideline in its summation suggests that we need more data, that we need more science, because one of the problems with bacterial overgrowth and one of the reasons that it has struggled adoption early on is because there really are no therapies that have been approved by the FDA for bacterial overgrowth. And we'll get to that later, but the real issue and the real recommendations are that small intestinal bacterial overgrowth is growing in its understanding. And for example, in irritable bowel syndrome, investigators now believe a very strong proportion or a large proportion of IBS, especially the diarrhea IBS, is bacterial overgrowth, or at least bacterial overgrowth can account for some of the symptoms. And that may be why drugs like rifaximin, which is an FDA-approved drug for IBS, works in IBS. Another issue that's come up is the role of methane or methanogens in this bacterial overgrowth framework. The problem is bacterial overgrowth 
is bacteria and overgrowth. And methanogens are archaea, they're not bacteria. So one of the things that the guideline cleared up is to say, well, if you're methane, then it's not overgrowth of bacteria, it's methanogen overgrowth. We, so we coined a new term called intestinal methanogen overgrowth or IMO, EMO. But methane is associated with constipation and it's believed that the methane gas actually is the constipating factor because it may do things to the wall of the intestine to slow the gut down. And so that's another important factor that was brought out by these guidelines. And of course, there, there are many others, for example, defining using culture for bacterial overgrowth as greater than 1,000 bacteria per milliliter was a huge shift because older unvalidated uh, numbers were more like greater than 100,000, but now it's greater than 1,000. So there's a number of, of very seminal, important uh, descriptions in the guideline that change the way we look at overgrowth. Absolutely. And you mentioned earlier that there wasn't a lot of substantial evidence to kind of make, you know, the definitive choice in treatments and all that. Um, so what is missing from the guideline that needs to be addressed again in the future? And what kind of research is needed to support that? So one of the final parts of the guideline really were to say, you know, we, we know that antibiotics work for bacterial overgrowth or SIBO. We have a lot of data on antibiotics and their efficacy, but none of them are FDA approved. And so I think the next step or what this guideline challenges us to do is to now take the information from the guideline, develop pathways for the FDA to approve drugs specifically for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth especially since we're now able to validate breath testing and breath testing appears to be valid, the culture techniques are more validated now. And so we're able to really definitively identify small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And we're hopeful that that will be able to uh, then lead to these treatments and the FDA approval of drugs for this, this area. I guess what I'm trying to say is we do have drugs, but to say that they're FDA approved and to be marketed in this particular disease state, we're not there yet. Right. And that does make sense. Um, okay. So then finally, what are the key takeaway messages for gastroenterologists um, about the management of SIBO and the new guideline? I, I think the most important thing that the, the guideline provides is sort of a template of how to do research studies. So if you think about the last 20 years of research in small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, you know, the hundreds or thousands of studies many of them use different criteria for what is a positive breath test or what is bacterial overgrowth. And what the guideline does also is sets basically the foundation and says, look, this is what the evidence suggests is bacterial overgrowth. These are the criteria for breath tests to suggest bacterial overgrowth. You can use another criteria, but you have to report based on this foundational work and then prove that your new criteria are better. So we really want to set a level playing field so that all studies are reporting the same outcome measures and then move on from there. So that's, that's one of the key takeaways. And the second is that it's very clear that bacterial overgrowth is part of a number of conditions, including irritable bowel syndrome, and that methane causes constipation. I think that's now very clear. And, and so sort of the controversies around the last 20 years of whether overgrowth is important or not, how common is it, is it part of IBS or not, some of those have been well discussed in this guideline and provide some good evidence that that is true. And so I think 
clinicians will continue to hear about overgrowth. They'll continue to be treating overgrowth, and we're continuing to understand how common and important the disease is. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing your insight on the guidelines with us today. Amanda, it's my pleasure to be here today, and I hope I provided some useful information for your audience.